Good morning, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. Amen, amen. Well, it's been an exciting weekend. Uh, of course, you know, every day that you're alive, you, you get up in the morning, you find yourself to be vertical. You should be thanking God for that. Uh, it's a good position to be in when you wake up, you know, so you can get vertical. And, uh, but, you know, there's coming a day. There's coming a day that either we will live this life and pass on from this life and, as they say, cross Jordan's River and we'll get into the promised land or else. There's coming a day when the trump of God will sound, and all of us who are in Christ will be caught up together in the air with Him. You know, I, I tell you what, every one of you who trusted in Jesus Christ, your soul is made to fly. And even though I don't like heights, I, I think I'll like that one. I tell you, if I get more than two feet off the ground, I get a little nervous up there. But anyway, it is so good to be with you on this Lord's Day morning. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. You know, there is so much in this passage of Scripture. Seriously, I, I had to cut back so much because th this, this could have been easy two sermons. Easy could have been two sermons, but uh, I want you to know that I worked real hard for you to cut that down. No. It is, but it is, it's a joy just studying this stuff. Listen to what God says in His Word. Beginning at verse 5, John writes, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, don't you say, if we, if we, if we, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us or his word is not in us. Let us pray. Father, what a glorious day, Lord. Lord, as we approach the middle of this October month, and Father, we find ourselves assembled together for worship. Uh, Lord, we're not here to be entertained. Lord, we're not here to be motivated by uh, some slick music or slick sermon. But Father, we want to hear the truth of your word, both in song and in sermon. Father, our motivation is Christ in us, who's our hope of glory. So, Father, I just ask today, Lord, as you, as you speak through your word, Father, that you'll take every feeble attempt of mine, Lord, 
And Lord, that these words that you have in your word will penetrate into the hearts of every person here, Lord. And that your spirit will lead a person to make a commitment that is needed for that man or that woman this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. John tells us in verse 5 that he is presenting a message to his readers. And that message is this. The same one that he heard. And that word is that God is light. Now, you know, sometimes when we read the scripture, we will read that. And the first thing that we read, verse 5, it says God is light. And the, the very first thing we think of, I got to get on to verse 6. Because we're in such a hurry. We're in such a hurry to read through the word of God. You know, we, we've been telling people for years and years and years and years and years, you need to read the Bible through in one year. As if there's going to be something special if you do it in 365 days, of course, and every once in a while you get 366 days to do it. Folks, I'm going to tell you, take your time and meditate upon the Word of God. I want you to read the Word of God. Read it through. Genesis to Revelation. If it takes you a year, wonderful. If it takes you a year and a half, wonderful. If it takes you two years, it's wonderful. But when you're finished, with, start it over again. Keep on reading it over and over and over again. There... There is nothing sacred that says, if I don't finish it in a year, I'm dead meat. Listen, folks, stay in the Word of God every day. Sometimes you may come across just maybe one chapter, and it just absolutely just speaks to your soul. Stay there. I can remember when I was in college, me and a guy, friend, friend of mine named Danny, we went out and some, somehow we, we, got our, we got our minds fixed on Ephesians chapter 4. We spent days just going through Ephesians chapter 4. Just that one chapter so that it could absolutely penetrate our minds and our hearts. We wanted to know Ephesians chapter 4 about the duty we have as Christians under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit. We wanted to know that. But John says that God is light. So here's what we want to do today when we see that God is light. We need to ask ourselves this question. Where does, where, does that, where does that come from, the idea that God is light? Well, let's go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. First book of the Bible. In chapter 1, in chapter 1, you remember that? Where God, where God is, is, is going to begin his six-day creation. And what's the first, the first thing that God says when he creates? Let there be light. Let there be light. You find that in verse 3, by the way. Now, I know that there's a lot of interpretations as to what that light may be. And, and some people say, well, what God did is God created in the first day, God created the sun, moon, and the stars, and, and all that that was coming in was just diffused light. It really wasn't the kind of light that you were used to. Well, folks, you know, that sounds like a wonderful thing. And people say, I believe that, man, diffused light coming in because you've got to have sun, moon, and stars for light. Well, listen, God does not need the sun, moon, and stars for light. And in fact, when God sets up his new kingdom, are we going to have need for a sun, according to the book of Revelation? He is the light. We're not going to need, listen, we're not going to need the sun. I want to share this with you. When God said, let there be light, and people say, well, that was the sun, moon, and stars. 
you know, that sounds wonderful, and you, we can be deceived with that. But if you keep on reading through the book of Genesis, you'll find out that God didn't create the sun, moon, and stars until the fourth day. Not the first day, but the fourth day. So listen to what the Word of God says. So we have all kinds of interpretations. But here's one thing that we absolutely, absolutely know to be the truth, to be the fact. On that very first day, God began in, in time and place in history to reveal himself. When God said, let there be light, God began a revelation. God began a revelation of himself. And that revelation continues from the, from the very moment God said, let there be light. That begins the revelation of God until you get to the person when you come to Matthew chapter 1. And it says, and you shall call his name Jesus. When Jesus Christ comes into this world, you have, a, you have the full progressive revelation of God from Genesis all the way to the book of Matthew because that, what, that which began in, in Genesis where God said, let there be light, is now totally understood when Jesus Christ comes into the world because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Amen. So what we have then is God's God is, God, is directing, God is directing this world to understand that he is revealing himself to be the light of this world. And so when, when Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul writing to people who say, well, I don't, I don't see God, I don't feel God, I don't hear God, I can't taste him. So how can you prove to me there's God? Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are all without excuse. You know, people say, well, I can't see God, I can't hear God, I don't know God. Listen, when you look at creation, when you look at creation, you see the very presence of God. Today, when Patty and I were traveling to, to church, we're, as I'm driving down 70 Highway at 293 miles an hour, and <laughs> it was under the speed limit. No. But I'm traveling down 70, and there's this weird-looking cloud formation above us. It's kind of grayish, but it was kind of puffy. Look, looked like dirty marshmallows. You know, and, and you're driving along, and but there was, as the sun was beginning to peek over the horizon, this, this huge orange coloration, it was a, like a variegated orange, just different hues of orange out there. But in the midst of all this orange, this fiery orange, there's this, there's this one ray that just came straight up out of the ground like this just pointing straight up to heaven. I said, Patty, look at that. And you could see the difference. It was just, there was just this one bright ray just shot up into space. I said, Patty, I says, wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus just appeared in that right now and took his church? Oh, folks, understand something. When you look at creation, when you look at creation, God put that there. It's not some big bang. 
God put that there. Light speaks of God's favor and His presence to humanity. It speaks of His holiness and purity. Light that is unapproachable. Light that is immortal. In that God who is the light and, and, and reigns eternal in and with His attributes. And He possesses all that is good and holy. And He's perfectly revealed Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God is light. Jesus said of himself in, in, in John 8, 12, Jesus, I am the light of this world. So we go on to verse 6. From verse 6 and all the way down through verse 10, every one of those verses says, if we in it. If we, if we, if we, if we. This verse in verse 6, if, if, if thought of and meditated upon, could only lead us to one singular thought. So, what does verse 6 say? He says, if we say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And this is why I say to you, sometimes we read scripture, we want to read it so fast, we, we, miss, we, we miss the essence of it. When you think about this verse, how is it possible to walk in darkness, that is to walk in sin's way, to live like the devil, and at the same time say that we have fellowship with God. You see, that's what verse 6 says. How, how can we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness? Is it possible? If, if there is no moral or mental change in your life when you say that you've come to Jesus Christ, if you're acting today like you did yesterday before you came to Christ, then if there's nothing changed in your life, how can you say that you're a new creation in Christ? How is it possible? There must be a moral and mental change. I'm not saying that you've got to live a perfect life because that's going to be impossible. Only one person's ever done that. And we, and we killed them. But you can't live a perfect life. But how can you say that I'm a Christian, but yet there's nothing in your life, nothing in your life that shows anybody that you're Christian? Are you... Are you Happy to go to bed like that at night, knowing that what you were a year ago, what you were 10 years ago, is what you are today. And before you met Christ, after you met, same, same difference. That should be scary to you. That ought to be frightening. Listen. We may, come, we may come to worship services. We may attend Sunday school. We may pray, sing, and present our offerings. But if we are not in agreement with God in our everyday lives, if we are not in, in some way actively growing and maturing as Christians, then we better check our relationship with the Lord and ask this question, am I living in spiritual darkness. That ought to be the question that we're asking ourselves. If there is no change in our life, 
and we live like and we live like the devil through the week and you say that you're a christian ask yourself the question this am i living in spiritual darkness Scripture says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We all one day will do that. Is it possible for us to be a man or woman of faith and be devoid of any moral rightness? John tells us in verse 6, if we are not in step with God, then we are walking in darkness and not walking in the truth. So then you might ask, What does God do when I veer off track? And how many of us get off track? You better say all of us, because we all do. It's a a Yogi Berra thing. When you come to Fork and Road, you've got to take it. You know, so we all do. We all veer off track. All of us do. But what what does God do? When we veer off track, do, do we lose our salvation? Does God erase our names from the, his book of life? You know, I, I, I meet people all the time say, Pastor, I think I lost my salvation. Well, let me tell you something. If you've earned that salvation, then it's no, it's a, there's no wonder why you lost it. If you've got to earn it, then you're going to lose it. But if God has earned it, it's yours forever. Amen. You do not earn your own salvation. That's God's work. Not... Have you seen one of my converts? They're terrible people. We're not trying to make Baptists out of people. We're not trying to make people our converts. We're not trying to get them to come to a Hazelwood church. Listen. A convert to Jesus Christ. A convert to Jesus Christ is an addition to the kingdom of God, not necessarily this particular church or particular denomination. It's an addition to the kingdom of God. We ought to rejoice when we hear people all over the world coming to know Jesus Christ. You and I are brothers and sisters together with millions and millions and millions of people all over this world. We should rejoice in that. We all sin, and we all sin daily. So what does God do when I sin? Does God, oh, no, again. Old Pat keeps on, keeps on messing up every day, a thousand times a day. What am I going to do with this guy? What does God do when I sin? Well, let me tell you what God does when you and I sin. If you look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, it's a simple answer. You know, it's in Scripture. First, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children. Now, John can say that because he's probably about 90 years old when he writes this. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What happens when we sin? God provides us with an advocate. And he doesn't just bring us in. Listen, this is not Perry Mason. Okay? Jesus has never lost a case. 
when you, when you, listen, when you and I sin and we are, we are given an advocate, it's not like Jesus goes to the Father and says, you know what, oh, oh, Bob over here, Bill, Mary, Sue, whatever. They're basically good people. Lord, just kind of forgive them this time. We'll work on trying to get them to do a little bit better next time. No, 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 no. God, listen, Jesus does not do that. When we have an advocate with the Father, you know what Jesus does? He says, listen, this person over here, they, they are covered by my blood. I paid for them. They are my possession. They belong to me. My blood is upon them. I've got my name on their foreheads. When you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just stop there. Not only is he our advocate, look at verse 2, chapter 2. He says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. You know, we don't use that word propitiation. You don't just talk to people and say, you know, I think I'll go out and have a bowl of propitiation today. <laughs> that word, listen, listen to the holiness of that word. When, when it says that Jesus Christ is our propitiation, it means that Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he bore our sins, the past, present, and future. He bore every sin of every one of you for, for your whole life. Not just the sin of yesterday, not just the sin of today, but the sin of tomorrow. He bore your sin on the cross. Not only did he bear your sin, but he took his father's anger towards sin, and he bore that also. So that all, all of our sin, for all of time, listen, all of it has been taken care of on the cross of Calvary. For every person who's put their trust into Jesus Christ, your sins are not just covered, they are taken away as far as the east is from the west, as far as the depths of the sea. God has taken care of your sins because you have an advocate and he is a, he's a propitiation for your sins. He bore your sin, he bore the Father's wrath. Oh, listen, folks, we ought to be, we ought, we ought to be singing hallelujah for that. When it comes to sin, when it comes to sin, it needs to be understood that sin is ultimately, every sin is directed against God. Every sin. In Psalm 51 verse 4, David, the king, writes this, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. All sin. You can do something against a brother or a sister. It doesn't matter. Another human being, it doesn't matter. You can have an evil thought, an evil desire, an evil intent, whatever it might be. Listen, all sin is directed against God. When I'm asked as to what my definition of sin is, I just, I just, I just give this. I, there's, there's all kinds of definitions of sin. I just give this one. Sin is that which robs God. Listen, sin is that which robs God of the glory that is due him. You know, in, in Romans 3, 23, it says, we've all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. Every time we sin, we're robbing God of the glory that he should be getting. You're stealing from God. You're stealing from God. You're stealing from God when you sin. 
and I sin. We're robbing him. We're pilfering his good name. In verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In both this verse and in verse 6, we find the word walk. In the Greek, this word is in the present subjunctive mood. Now, I know that you may not be interested in English grammar or Greek grammar, but it's important that we know. There it is. It's on the, on the screen. There, there are three moods. There's the indicative, there's the subjunctive, and there's the imperative mood. We're just going to look at the subjunctive today. And that subjunctive mood tells us this. It is something that is habitual, something that is continual, something that is desirable, something you just got to do. There are some sins, folks, there are some sins that we just got to do. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, he says, I know what I should not be doing, but the very things I should not be doing, I'm doing those things. I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I'm doing it. Is that you? Well, I tell you, that's me. I know that I shouldn't be doing some things, but guess what? It's not even hardly a temptation anymore. I said, I'm going to do that. Why? It's continual, it's habitual, and I want to do it. Even though God says, don't do it. Listen to this. If we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that too is a subjunctive mood. That means that we should, as strongly as we have this desire to do that which is wrong, we should subjunctive mood, we should continually and habitually want to walk in the light. If you are a Christian, I know that you're going to sin, and I know I'm going to sin. We're, we're not going to escape that. We're not... You're, the only time you're going to escape that was you, when you're going to be with Jesus. That's when you'll escape it. But until then, it should be the desire of your life to live a life that honors God. Because that's what the scripture says, that we're to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Am I making this up? Am, am I reading this right? Walk in the light as he himself is in the light. That should be habitual. That, that is in the subjunctive mood. He's not saying, if we do it, yeah, maybe we should. He's saying, he's talking, he's writing in a subjunctive mood. This should be habitual. It should be continual. It should be desirable to walk in the light as he's in the light. Let's get some further thought to this. What would be the result of our continually walking in the light? If we continue to walk with Jesus, what would be the result of that? Well, number one, <clears throat> We would have fellowship with other believers. I want you to please hear this. 
why, if it's, if it's the case that we are to walk in the light and we want to be with other believers, listen, we walk in light, we want, we, we want to be with other believers because according to his word, that's what he says over here, we're to have fellowship with other believers. Why is it the case that, how is it possible, that, I should say, that we could feel anything but spiritually empty if we miss coming together for worship. I, I, cannot, I cannot understand that. It, it befuddles my mind that a person says, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I refuse to come together and worship. It, it, it doesn't... It's like saying, I want to... And I've used this illustration. I want to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, maybe not this year. I want to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. But I want to wear a Chicago Bear uniform. Well, the question, well, that's okay. Whatever, you know, whatever makes you feel good. Glad to have you on a team. That's, that's not going to work. You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work when you're on a team like that. You can't wear different colors that some other team has. You've got to wear the same color that everybody has on that team. But why is it when we come to, when we say we're Christians, that we feel like we can be something else instead of coming to worship? It, it, I, I don't understand that. You know, I wasn't built for that. And the second thing, not only should we have fellowship with other believers, but when we are walking in the light, we have the continual awareness that Jesus Christ has both forgiven us and imputes, listen, he, he, he imputes, he grants to us, he gives to us, he reckons to us, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, his righteousness. And he does that. He does that by and through the shedding of his blood on my behalf. Because when Jesus poured out his blood for you and I, who are believers, when he did that, it's, the Bible says very clearly, he cleanses us from all, from all sin, from all sin, past, present, and future. He cleanses us from all sin. But then, with this second point, we come to this question. What sin is John speaking of? If we're walking in the light, then why am I still sinning? What sin is he talking about? Folks, we live in a broken, fallen, disjointed world. A world plagued with pain, evil, death, destruction. When we give thought as to who we really are, give thought to who you really are, we see the effects of sin's depravity in our hearts and the evil of and in our attitudes and actions. When I, when I look at myself, I look at myself in the mirror, and you know what I see besides an old person? I see that because of sin that my body decays more every day, and so does yours. I do not look today as I did, I'll guarantee you, as I did 60 years ago. 
do not look the same today. Neither do you. You see the body aging more and more, and, and you see the effects of living in this world, don't you? The effects of living, you see the body beginning to decay. And you, you get to the point in your life where you see that because of age, you see that the, that the portrait of your life has been painted, and all that is necessary for God to bring you home is for the, 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 the painter to sign his autograph at the bottom of that picture. That's all that's left for some of us. And you look at that, and you, see, and you see the decay. It's like the second law of thermodynamics has taken place in your life, that things go from order to disorder. But, but in spite of all this decay that's happening in the world, in spite of all this misery and pain and evil and just whatever. You come to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. And man, I tell you what, it's, it's, like, it's like an old bird getting new wings. He says that we, we have become partakers of a divine nature. Listen, by trusting in Jesus Christ, you become a partaker of a divine nature. Yes, you still sin. We still sin. We still do with that which is against God's desire for us. But God in Christ has made a provision for us <clears throat> due to sin in order that we may continue to have fellowship with him. That even though we sin, that when God looks at us, what he sees is not that we are decaying. He sees the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, all poured over us. It is like fresh oil from heaven anointing us. And God has lifted up and He says, this is my child. Hallelujah. Sometimes we just don't get it. That sin, listen, when you sin as a Christian, it does not separate you from God. You've have a, you have an advocate with the Father. What it does, it brings guilt upon you that you have offended your God. The sin is taken care of, but you've offended your God. You've stolen from Him. Give Him back the honor that, and the glory that is due Him. Confess your sin... We're going to follow this. He sees the blood of Jesus. Listen, he sees the blood of Jesus. You're covered in it. You're covered in it because he's bought you with his blood. In verse 8, we are to be reminded of those Gnostic heretics who claimed that they were without sin. Remember, they had all these strange variant beliefs, but they also believed that they didn't have any sin. John does, listen, John never says that they're liars. He doesn't say, oh, these guys are lying. No, he doesn't say that. He says, they're deceiving themselves. If you say that you have not sinned, he said, you're deceiving yourself. So John gets to the very heart of this issue here. 
He knows that we sin. We know that we sin, and especially God knows for sure that we sin. So John in verse 9, and here's a verse that we so often cling to. We skip every other verse, but we cling to verse 9, don't we? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go to that all the time. That in Romans 8, 28 and John 3, 16, it's like those things we've got to keep in our heads. If you look at verse 9, <clears throat> let's do some more Greek grammar stuff here. The word confess, if we confess our sins, is the Greek word homologeo. Now, I said, what does that mean, homologeo? The word homologeo is, is a combination of two Greek words, homos, which means the same, and lego. And lego is not a bunch of plastic pieces you snap together, Okay. Lego means to say. Homos, the same. Lego, to say. To say the same thing. Homologeo, to say the same thing. When you confess, when you homologeo, when you confess, when you say the same thing that God says about sin. Okay? That's what verse 9. If we confess our, if we say the same thing about sin that God says, he's faithful and just then. Understand, that's what he means by that. When we confess our sins to God, we're in agreement with him concerning sin. So when we confess our sins, not only do we agree with God concerning sin, but our confession of sin frees us from the guilt, from the guilt of sin's condemnation. When you sin as a Christian, the first thing that hits you after you sin, what is, oh God, why did I do that? Don't you do that? God, why did I do that? I don't want to do that, but I did that. I stink. I'm a wretch. I'm miserable. And we do that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit working you, this guilt that you got, this guilt should lead you to where? Not to hide from God like Adam and Eve say, well, I got to go find me some fig leaves. No, 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 no. When you sin, go to your advocate. Go to the one who propitiated your sins. Go to the one who purchased you with his blood. Go to him. Flee to Jesus when you sin. And that's exactly what we have. When you say the same thing about sin that God, what does God do? What does God do? Listen. He's faithful and just to forgive forgive us and cleanse us. In John chapter 13, Peter and the apostles were coming to Jesus, and they're getting ready to have this this supper meal for the Passover. Remember the last supper? The, the, The night before Jesus dies, the very night before he dies, the guys are walking, and Peter walks in. You remember this, this account? Peter walks in, and, and, he, and he tromps into the room where Jesus, and Jesus says, uh, Peter, take your sandals off. I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, you ain't going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Jesus says, oh. Peter says, Jesus, listen, not just my feet, wash my whole body. Remember that? Jesus, wash my whole body. Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, you don't understand. Folks, listen very carefully. Peter, you don't understand. 
I want you to hear this one. I'm going to tell you. You don't understand. Peter, you're already clean. I washed you already. You're clean. You're clean. I walked, I walked into a, 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 a convenience store yesterday, and I was, I was getting ready to do a funeral. I was dressed up in my suit, getting ready. And this, this man looked at me. He says, oh, man. He says, you're clean. He said, you're clean. I said, yes, sir. I said, I'm getting ready to do a funeral. He said, I'm sorry for your loss. I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm the minister. But he says, oh, he says, you're looking good. Listen, that's what God's saying to you. You're looking good. You don't need to take a whole bath, but you're bringing in some of the world with you. Peter, you got some world on your feet. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Peter, you got some world on your feet. Let's get that off of you. You're, you're, you're bringing into my, you're bringing in the presence of God some of the world. Get rid of it. Let me wash that from you. If we confess our sins. Listen, you don't need, you don't need to get saved all over again. There's only one salvation, right? You don't need to get saved... But sometimes, folks, we get a little dirty from this world, don't we? We get a little dirty from this world. God says, you need to wash your feet. You need to wash your eyes. You're looking at things you're not, you you need to wash those eyes. You need to wash your hands. You're touching things you ought not be touching. We come to our final verse. In verse 10, I want you to keep in mind that, that we are as a, that what we are as a people. We are as a people, Romans 3.23 people, we, we're, we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are. That's just who we are. You and I, as Christians, we may be free from sin's power. You and I as Christians may be free from sin's pra- uh, practice. But you know what, folks? You see this world we live in? Remember I was telling you about those clouds? And that sunrise? All of that is Satan's domain. He's the prince of the power of this air. And we are not free yet from sin's presence. But someday we will be. Someday we will be. Not free yet. We have we have not sinned is should not be in our vocabulary. But if we say that we have not sinned. What we're saying is, God, you're lying to us, and your word is lying to us. That's what he says in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His truth is not in us. His word is not in us. Friends, we all have and do sin. We all have and we all do sin. But, but in Jesus Christ, we have an advocate We have a mediator. We have an intercessor. We have a high priest who has offered himself as a full sacrifice for our sins. You're clean. 
all of our sins, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Jesus bore all of our sins. Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord. And he, and he offers this to you today. He says, if you place your trust in me, I will not cast you out. I will receive you unto myself. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Would you today, if the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, you say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus Christ. I believe that God has opened my heart to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is born of a virgin. I believe he lived a perfect sinless life. I believe that he died on a cross bearing my sins and a father's, and a father's anger towards sin. I believe that he was buried and rose and was buried but rose again on the third day. He's ascended into glory. I believe all of that. I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm wanting to do that today. Folks, if that is you, when we have this time of response, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. For yourself. For the church. For the kingdom. 